Natasha Collins and I am your host. I'm also the founder of NC Real Estate, which includes its members club for landlords and property investors to come and build a profitable property portfolio which completely aligns with their goals. If you want to find out more about that, head on over to www.ncrealestate.co.uk. Okay, this week we have a special podcast. We are going to be talking about Brexit Unraveled. And I am joined by a very special guest. Anna Kay has spent almost 30 years, 40 years helping growing businesses sort out the practical and legal side of paying people and has been a guest expert on both TV and radio talking about all things gig economy. Her current mission is to get her micro-entrepreneur clients through Brexit. Hi, Annabelle. How are you doing? Hi. And I, also... I don't know how I'm doing, given all that's going on, but I'm bearing up. <laughs> I also, I think I said micro-entrepreneur micro wrong. I can't, I can't get the word. How do you say it? Well, I say micropreneurs, but it's not a real word, is it? So it doesn't, there isn't a right way to say it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, from my point of view, uh, everything that I hear from coming out of the UK is just Brexit this, Brexit that. Um, I phone my parents in the UK, my sisters, and all you get in the background is TV saying Brexit's happening. Then over here, we've get, we get all the uh, comedy programs saying that people in the UK are buying these Brexit boxes, which are full of powdered chicken korma. <laughs> um, and I, I have been in the UK recently, and I was trying to keep up and at the time of recording, we're a couple of days away from the 29th of March when we were meant to be leaving the EU. I don't know if that's happening. And now I'm lost. And I'm hoping our conversation can kind of help unravel it as of this moment. I shall do my best. <laughs> I guess one of the first things I would like to talk about is the fact that um, every time I put a post out in my community about Brexit, I get almost chaotic answers with some people thinking one thing other people thinking another both sides putting each other down saying you don't know this you don't know that but what is there to know about this and why are we so divided mm, that's a long question <laughs> it is um, i think fundamentally brexit is about control yeah. And it's about two interpretations of control that differ on methodology. And like so many things, if you don't define your terms before you start to debate things, you can find yourself disagreeing when in, and missing possibilities to agree. And I think a lot of that goes to Brexit. So we've got a group of people who want more power and influence in the world who feel that the correct way to have this is to be part of a big block. Yeah. So those would be the people who want to stay in Europe because they would say things like, look at the rows between Europe and Facebook, Europe and Google. We don't have the clout as a single United Kingdom to deal with that. We need to be part of a bigger block. Mm -hmm. So they see that the answer to having control and influence in the world is to have big friends and, and cozy up to them. Yeah. Other people say it's all too big, it's not democratic, and there are lots of interpretations of democratic, by the way, so it depends on how you define that as to whether you think it is or isn't. Mm -hmm. But if we were in a smaller group of people, my group would have more influence. So there are two groups of people who are very drawn to that argument. One is people who feel they don't have enough influence. For example, Austerity Britain has, has left a lot of people feeling that, that the British government doesn't represent British interests. Mm -hmm. So they think if, if we were in a smaller club, their voice would be more heard. They're also allied rather weirdly with global corporations and multinationals and billionaires who feel, and I'm being cynical about this, that it's easier to buy one nation's government than the whole of the EU. <laughs> so people who want to lobby and be corporate lobbyists and throw money at getting legislation that, that improves their trading position, obviously it's cheaper to buy the UK government than Europe. 
and I'm being cynical about it, but yeah. there's an element of truth in that. So you will find people who are global billionaires posing as a man of the people going, this is what ordinary Brits need before disappearing into a chauffeur-driven limousine. There's been a very strange alliance. Now, that's not to say that either group of people are right or wrong about wanting more freedom, wanting more influence. Who doesn't want that? Yeah. Well, and this, you know, this is the we thing. We disagree about how to get there. Yeah. So what, as of today, as of the time that we are talking, and just so that everybody knows, we're actually talking on Thursday, the 21st of March. So by the time this goes out on Tuesday, things could have changed. So just if, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, we've decided to leave like a couple of days earlier. It's not going to happen. But if that happens, <laughs> this is the date that we're recording on and this is what's happened as of today. So as of today, what do we know is going to happen? Do you think we're leaving next Friday or do you think it's going to be delayed? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> and that's not because I've not been following it. I follow it by the minute, by the second, by the hour. But we are in a chaotic situation. It's like a storm or a hurricane. You know, I can see that the hurricane's going mound to mound and it's got momentum. But I don't know if the last minute it will hit Florida or further north. You know, I, I know there's a hurricane, but I can't predict the exact course. And because there's so much momentum in this, a couple of degrees of change could make a really big difference. So where are we right now? What well, the British public have expressed their opinion in a referendum nearly two years ago that they wanted to leave. Mm -hmm. Not all of them, though. And although it was the majority of the people voted, it wasn't the majority of the people. Yeah. Um, and obviously that's how votes go. But they, they express themselves currently to be speaking for the majority. But in fact, it wasn't the majority of all of us. It's just the majority voted on that day. Mm -hmm. What nobody has ever agreed upon from that moment until right now is what that means. Yeah. So to some people, that always meant leaving on a deal. And if you were here when the original campaigns were there and, and there's the lovely Twitter site you should check called Led by Donkeys that retweets the original campaign promises and puts them up on billboards, I commend that to you, if only for its entertainment value. Yes. Um, then people were being told it's going to be the easiest deal in history. We're going to do a deal with the EU. We're going to keep all the benefits of being in the EU, but we're going to leave, which is a bit like leaving your local tennis club, but insisting on playing tennis there for nothing. Mm -hmm. But this is what people were being told. And this is what a subset of people who voted for Brexit thought they were going to get, along with billions of extra money for the NHS. Some of the people who voted for Brexit knew perfectly well they weren't going to get that. And ever since then, there's been more than one Brexit. So there's been Norway plus, Canada minus, Canada plus plus. There's been hard Brexit, a deal Brexit. But the one thing everybody who is for Brexit seems to agree about is they're not wanting the deal that we've actually got. And what is the deal that we've got? Well, it's being in the... Um, in effect, the customs union, at least for a while, mm -hmm. it's it's shadowing EU laws. So in effect, we'll be bound by the laws, but we will no longer be able to elect MEPs and have some say in what they are. Right. The massive problems about the border with Ireland and indeed Gibraltar come out of that. And nobody talked about that at the time of the vote. Well, that's, that's the one big thing that I just could not get my head around. How do they think that there is going to be a border between North and South Ireland? Because that doesn't just spring up overnight and who pays for that? Um, I don't know how anybody thinks what they think, right? As far as I'm concerned, the thing has become a bit like a religion where people are debating this from the point of view of belief. Yeah. And when you say to people, why do you believe what you believe? They go, because it's true. Yeah. So you can't get to the bottom of why people think what they think. Um, it, but I mean, a hard border isn't a physical wall. We're not having a Mexican wall here. Okay. A hard border is a point at which goods can be, be checked. Okay. So it's not as if they're going to be putting, um, uh, I guess... 
my vision of this, and this is honestly what I'd kind of got into my head, was that there was going to be like immigration checks. You know how you get across from one country to the other, and yeah. I'd, I'd that had that was terrifying me that that might even be a thing that was going to happen between North and South Island. I just could not get my well, head around it. Even assuming that that's what the EU required, we've got a triangular problem. Have you ever seen an Isha picture, you know, with the stairs that go round and round? Yeah. And here's how it goes. We, our government, that's us, signed the Good Friday Agreement. Yes. Brought the end to a terrible period in Irish history and indeed British history. Mm-hmm. And there were two important things in the Irish, in the Good Friday Agreement for that affect Brexit. One is Ireland. And the UK signs a deal that said there will be no hard border. Yeah. So there will be no customs posts, no goods checks between the two. And the other one was that the people of Northern Ireland will not be joined, reunited with Southern Ireland as we think of it, or Ireland as the Irish think of it, unless there's a referendum in Northern Ireland that votes to that effect. Right. Are you with me? Yes. So that agreement was concluded in good faith by parties who never envisaged us leaving the EU. The EU requires border checks on goods leaving the EU or coming in. Otherwise, you can't have trade agreements and tariffs and things like that, can you? No. So you've got this triangle that we can't have a border, but we must have a border. And this is what's causing the problem. Forget whether they've built a little concrete bunker or put a thing in across <laughs> the road, you know. That's the least of it, how you physically manifest it. So we've heard suggestions like Northern Ireland could stay in the customs union when we left. Right. But the democratic unionists don't want that because they want to unite with the rest of the... Well, they are united with the rest of the United Kingdom. They want to stay that way. They don't want a different system because that pushes them further towards Ireland. Yeah, and doesn't keep in line with the Good Friday Agreement. Not at all. Some people have suggested that we have a border in the sea. I'm not quite sure it would be stopped on customs when driving across that border. I don't know how that would work. <laughs> um, to be honest, it's got beyond surreal, you know. So that's a problem because when everyone voted to, to who did vote to leave the EU, that wasn't an item of discussion. You know, so some English people know nothing at all about our history with Ireland. And they say, well, we'll leave them to reunite, sort themselves out, start off again. That seems a bit of, um, to me, a responsible approach, given all of the history and the death and the pain that went there. I wouldn't really want to bring it back. Well, yes. And even my knowledge of it comes from working in London and what people were telling me about what it was like in the late uh 1980s early mm. 1990s yeah and it just that sounds horrific and we weren't even and they weren't even in ireland quite and so, it was even worse in ireland so the whole good friday agreement was to make sure that never happens again but the risk is and i'm not saying that that a risk is a certainty but we're all in business so we know about this yeah. is that this will kick off again yeah and especially because if people don't agree with it, there's nothing now stopping them from... Not- well, how can we ask someone to obey a treaty that we ourselves are about to breach? Yeah. No, it's very you know, So that's complicated um, in its own might. And this is one of the reasons why the EU have stood with Ireland on, no, you can't just ignore the border situation and no, we can't agree to do a deal some other day, some other time. This is important. We have to do it. We have to sort out what we're doing in a way that respects the Good Friday Agreement. And because uh, don't forget, Ireland's got a massive land border with Northern Ireland. Yep. And yes, they don't want the expense of putting up inspection posts and this and that. And of course, at the moment, large amounts of food for Ireland come from France to Britain via Calais tariff free, get trucked across to Wales and, and sent over to Ireland. So they would have to route ferries directly to avoid queues and tariffs. It's a bit of an admin nightmare. And I think one of the problems about Brexit, whatever the merits of it are, is that having an idea, you're an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and implementing an idea are two different things. Yeah. And unless you've got a great plan and you've taken into account a lot of variables, sometimes the best of ideas are doomed to fail because they were imperfectly planned and executed. Yeah. 
And there's a lot of people who want Brexit, who feel it's just very simple. We just do it. Yeah. But that's like me saying to you, build a property empire. What's your problem? <laughs> yeah. Is it simple? Get on with it. Yeah. We like simple solutions to complex problems because that stops our brain from hurting. But this is the whole ecosystem of business and trade. Imagine, imagine if New York decided no longer to become part of the USA. Yeah. What would that involve? Oh, wow. Yeah. Quite. You wouldn't describe it as simple, would you? No, definitely not. Definitely not. I think... And the thing is, it's as well, it's the small little things that I, I guess people forget about. I was um, I was talking to people that I know who live in Port Talbot, who've been heavily subsidised by the EU to um, repair buildings over there in the uh, older count- the council estates where they're paying to put roofs on and they're paying to put um, windows in. And that, that comes from, um, and I don't know what European grant it is, but it's definitely been put in from the European Union to, to spend in the local area and that's obviously being pulled as of next week I think as of next week there's no more money in the fund um, and they couldn't understand how that money wouldn't be still there anymore. Wales overall and again that doesn't mean everyone in Wales voted to leave the European Union despite being the beneficiaries of massive amounts of agricultural subsidies environmental subsidies all sorts of things um, and I think you'd have to, and I've got friends who live in Wales who voted out, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I think you can guess from the tone of how I'm trying to explain this, that wasn't me, you know, yeah. but when I've asked them, they did it as a smack on the nose to the UK government to pay attention to them. Yes. Right, which they didn't because Europe invests in the regions London tends to be the focus and the south of the British government. Yeah. Um, So it's very complicated because what people wanted to achieve by doing what they did wasn't connected in terms of a methodology to what you might reasonably expect the outcome to be. No. So it's a bit like I was trying to make bread and I'm absolutely fed up that I didn't get bread, but I'd actually started with a cake recipe. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so what can, what should we expect to happen next? What's, what is scheduled to happen over the next couple of days? So I know that there's been loads of votes going on in the House of Parliament. And day one started with, should we vote for Theresa May's deal? Or should we not vote for Theresa May's deal? And then it went on from there, right? Yeah, at one point, Theresa May's government was whipping MPs to vote against motions that Theresa May's government had put to the House. Right. So it's a bit Alice in Wonderland. So here's where we are right now, subject to it all changing while I'm talking to you. (laughs) Which is good. It is. One, Theresa May has applied for a short extension to the deadline of the 29th of March. Right. What's a short extension mean? I don't know. Oh, okay. At the moment, it's possibly the 22nd of May is what she's after. Right. However, the House, and it, in the British system, Parliament is sovereign, not yeah. the Prime Minister, not the people, despite all the jargon you hear, passed a motion that she should seek a long extension. Right. So she's not done what Parliament mandated. Okay. But it doesn't really matter, I think, because... I don't think the EU will give it just because she asked for it. No. They have made it perfectly plain that if the point of the extension is for us to carry on arguing, we're not going to get it. No, because no one's making a decision or have any better ideas. No. So if all we're going to do is keep fighting with each other, what's the point? And, I mean, they do have a point, don't they? Yes. Um, Because you know, an extra week or so is arguing if that's it, isn't getting us anywhere. And there's no sign at the moment of any resolution, though that might have changed, you never know. Mm -hmm. So yesterday, the Speaker of the House, who's in charge of House procedure, really, he's like top dog prefect, you know, he speaks 
about how the House should conduct its affairs, made it very plain that Theresa May couldn't keep bringing the same thing back to the House and asking them to vote on it over and over and over again until they finally said, yes, all died of old age or we had an election. <laughs> this is not how our system of democracy works. <laughs> but So she can't, okay. she can't get an extension unless she can show the EU that the deal is going to be voted on possibly successfully. In other words, there's early indicators of success or something else is going to happen. And she can't put it back to the House unless she gets a variation in the deal, which the EU have said she can't have. Are you with me so far? Yes, because that, this, is, this has been the bit that has completely baffled me. And the fact that... She, when you go in to negotiate with somebody, and I know this from being a surveyor because my whole job is negotiating. <laughs> being in the yeah, we need you. Come and sort out Brexit, darling. <laughs> yeah. I, re- I remember. Do, do you know what? I just on a bit of the off the record basis. When this first happened, I was living in London. I remember when they put, they said that every other Monday they were going to go into negotiations. I actually wrote a letter to her saying, "I I will come with you to negotiate because I feel like I could." <laughs> something it was kind of a flippant letter but I did mean something behind it because I was so concerned that nothing was going to come out of it that that aside what I've what seems to have happened is she's just gone in she's negotiated a deal without asking anybody else what they want the EU has then gone okay well great we've done our negotiation we've got everything we wanted out of this deal we're not coming back to the table which means that surely now she's properly snookered because we can't, you can't go back into negotiations and open something up when the other side thought that they got what they want. They're not going to now start backing down, are they? Well, I, I think one of the problems is a fundamental difference in understanding what negotiation is. Yeah. Because you and I, in different ways, negotiate for a living. Yeah. So we understand that different people negotiate in different ways. There isn't one right way to negotiate and one right way to put a deal together, is there? No, not at all. Um, And apart from the obvious differences of personality and whether people actually want to kill you or not, which would make a big difference to the negotiating atmosphere, there's also issues of of personal negotiating style and culture. And in the EU, the way things tend to happen, and I get this from people who've been involved in the EU on behalf of the British, and you can get this from all sorts of people in the public domain what tends to happen is they start with a lot of small things and they work towards consensus very slowly so it's like baking a cake yeah they don't have a last minute itis big thing i mean they sometimes do but it's more often than not everybody does all the admin they put together something because including us there's 28 nations in the u in the eu so you can't do a last minute come on guys we've got 10 minutes to go what do you think yeah because those nations often have to put stuff back to their national parliaments. So it's quite a slow and cumbersome thing. Yeah. The, the thing on our side seems to have been approached on the basis of be, drop dead itis. You know what I mean? They need us more than we need them. When they realise that there's not going to be a deal at the very last minute, they're going to sort something out. This is a widely held belief on the part of, of people who are pro-Brexit who think a a hard deal threat is necessary to get a good deal. Yeah, but that for me seems madness because they're not going to come back to the table. No, well, nobody's coming back to the table. That has been said for months. This has been going on since December. And the EU have said they will not open the deal. And obviously they can't now, between now and the 29th of May, even if they wanted to, they can't get 27 nations to agree. So to an extent... They are thinking that we want an extension so that they can have more time to be asked to agree with something they've already said no to several times. So if it was you and somebody said to you, look, here's my best offer, take it or leave it, and you went, leave it. And they went, no, here's my best offer, take it or leave it, and you went, leave it. How often would you be prepared to go through that conversation? You wouldn't. In fact, at some point or another, you'd be thinking, this is it, I'm out of here, I don't want any kind of deal, I'm bored. (laughs) This doesn't. I've put, but the, but what it's what seems to have happened is that she went in there. She agreed something without asking anybody, or not her, but her team of negotiators have gone in there, agreed this deal. They've gone. 
oh great the eu have agreed to this fantastic we're now just going to try and force that through and then she postpones votes hoping that people make the panic vote oh my gosh we can't leave with a no deal let's get this through so she's using this panic of you know if you're going to fall off the cliff i'll give you um i'll give you a ladder you know so you can only fall halfway is her kind of idea about it and Weirdly enough for a British Prime Minister, it's my personal opinion that she's radically underestimated the British temperament. Yes. Right? Because if you say to an ordinary British person, whether north, south, east, west, rich or poor, do what I say or else, what do we say? No. No. (laughs) So (laughs) by positioning herself as, you know, my, my deal or no deal, my deal or disaster... She's managed to unite the country. We have Remainers and Brexters all saying no. Yeah. So as, as far as being a unifying force in the country, she's done an amazing job. Everyone thinks she's terrible. But I, whilst I agree with that, nobody that. has stepped up to say I can do it better. And that what that's what's wound me up the whole way through is that well, people are pr- happy to put her down. But no one has said, okay, well, tell you what, Theresa May, get out of the way. I'm going to come and do this. That's not at all true, actually, because oh, okay. that's partly what you see in the media. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. First of all, there were loads of people who've said I can do it better, but haven't stepped up. They're what, where I come from South London, we call them all mouth and baggy trousers, right? <laughs> yes. They're people who are saying they could do better, who have even less negotiating experience than she does. Yeah. Right. So I'm not too keen on that. But there have been um, all sorts of amendments by people saying I could do this, I could do that, that she has ignored, who were willing to step up and do it. Um, It's not quite straightforward as that. Now, whether they would have commanded the, the majority of the House remains unknown because they never really got a chance to do it. And the situation is so confused that the Brexit secretary, who was in charge for the majority of the period of time this was being negotiated, has voted against the deal that he himself concluded. Yeah. It's a bit like Alice in Wonderland, isn't it? It is. And where do they go? Where do we where do we go from here? We're digging ourselves a hole, digging ourselves a hole, but ultimately we cannot stay in this position forever. And I know that things can change. But, I mean, how do we start, I guess, almost presenting the olive branch and thinking, okay, so where are we, where do we go from here? Where do, how do we build on this? How do we actually start improving a situation? Because one thing's for certain, we do not need Nigel Farage and his Brexiteer party marching down the country. I don't think we might. I've been watching them. They started (laughs) off with 58 people, and I think there's 10 of them now. So, you know, I've had bigger marches than a pub crawl. (laughs) He gets a great deal more media attention than he's worth. And that is something I think we need to start asking about. In the name of so-called balance, many of our mainstream media feel that if somebody says gravity exists, they must have a spokesperson who says, no, it doesn't. Yeah. And Farage is the equivalent of someone saying, no, it doesn't. And I'm sorry if that upsets some of your pro-Brexit people. I mean, there are arguments for Brexit, but Farage is not the man to make them. Well, this is this is the other thing that's really concerned me. Um, the amount of clickbait headlines. And he, again, without discussing politics, but he's very good at creating those clickbait um, yeah. clickbait headlines. Even Cambridge Analytics, Facebook... <laughs> Oh, somebody was well scored in how to do it. Well, yes, and th- and this this is not what's actually happening or what should be happening. And far too many people are now following these clickbait headlines, saying, "Well, this is this is this is kind of the extreme of what's happening." I saw the Times put out a headline which said that scientists have now said that people who voted um, for Brexit are, intelli- are less smart than people who voted. To, to stay and I thought to myself why are you putting that out like at that's the moment- terrible and I actually read the, the research behind it because I read everything because I'm boring like that <laughs> and that not the effect of the research whatsoever you know so if you like we've got a lot of newspapers owned by foreign oligarchs mm-hmm. who are fermenting almost a civil war amongst people and that's one of the things you've got to put a stop to whether you're pro-Brexit or whether you're anti-Brexit 
Yeah. We are all citizens of this country and we need to remind how to be civil when we disagree. Yeah. And if there is no need. And, and the language of the thing is terrible. I've, I've had people tell me I'm a heretic and I'm like, excuse me, does that mean Brexit is a religion? Well, yeah. How can you be a heretic to a political point of view? Um, I've, I've seen people being told that even though they voted Remain, it's their fault that Brexit isn't going very well because they don't believe hard enough. And that if only people believed harder, it would go better. Which reminds me a lot about Tinkerbell at the end of Peter Pan, you know. If I believe in fairies, they live. Is Brexit like that, that I have to believe in it more? Now, I'm quite an evidence-based person in my own business life. And, yeah. and the evidence before me is that apart from belief, there hasn't been much of a plan. And if you hired a surveyor who supervised a building project, when you went to them and you said, OK, we're going to extend this house and knock down this bit, what's the plan? And they said, I haven't made one. You've just got to believe in houses. <laughs> You'd be more than a little bit concerned. Yes. So what? What? where can we find the right information? Who is... who? When you're following... I mean, and I know, I guess it's not a sweeping... This happens all the time, but... Going forward, taking a proactive approach to how we can now as a collective get involved and start really understanding what's going on. What do you recommend that we do? Well, that's difficult. I mean, I deliberately follow pro-Brexit and anti-Brexit Twitter streams. Right. I, I try to join pro-Brexit and anti-Brexit Facebook groups, because I must spend a lot of time on social media. Obviously, if you're busy building a property empire, you've probably got better things to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to get onto full facts and fact check organisations and check what I'm hearing. Yep. Because I would say a great deal of what I hear is opinions. And I'll give an example. I was chatting to a guy on Facebook the other day, it's half an hour, and I said to him, you're pro-Brexit. What's your principal reason for being pro-Brexit? And he said... It's the Lisbon Treaty. I hate the Lisbon Treaty. I, d- I don't want it to be implemented. So it sounds a bit unfortunate. It's been enforced for several years, you know. What is it about it that you don't like? And I gave him a copy of it, a link to it. And I said, you know, I'm really genuinely curious. Could you point me to which part of the Lisbon Treaty you object to? And, and tell me how it affects you in a way that I can understand. And... There was a big silence. And then he eventually came back and he said, no, there's nothing in there that I, I object to. It must be another Lisbon Treaty. And I said, there's only been one. Have you been told about increasing compulsory this, that? And the other one, yes, I went, that's not in the Lisbon Treaty. And he said, well, it must be in another one. I'm going, no, it isn't. This is the problem. Now, I'm not saying you're not entitled to have an opinion on Brexit if you can't read the Lisbon Treaty. But if you're going to throw the whole country out of one economic system into another on the basis of something that's absolutely not true, something's going wrong with the way that we're conducting this debate. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you because, I mean, um, I've just had something pop up on my computer now. Hundreds of hundreds of gagging orders um, in action over Brexit. I mean, what? Oh, don't think have they gagged me? Or have I got to be quiet now? <laughs> You're going to see that drop into your inbox. Really? No, shut up, Annabelle. We've heard enough about you on Brexit. But yeah, do you know what? Be. Like, everything that's happening is something to do with Brexit. And I think to myself, what? How do we? How do we now get out of this unscathed? Is there a possible? I don't think we can get out of it unscathed. I think we're already scathed. Come what may. Right. I think a number of things we've been burned by that you can't undo. It's like you can't unsay a harsh word, can you? No. I can't tell you how many times somebody's told me that. (laughs) But one, we've already lost jobs, mostly in in manufacturing sectors that involve complex supply chains. And that's not a myth. That's not project fear. That's project headcount, you know, (laughs) really. And that's happened in the cities, is in jobs. I can see Canary Wharf from where I'm sitting. Well, I could if there wasn't a big building in the way. We know what's happening with local rentals not being renewed as city work gets transferred yeah. elsewhere. It's not a like 1920s style recession, 
but it's definitely a downturn. And I know there'll be people in Newcastle going, we don't care what happens in London because you guys have got all the money, but we do get to pay our money out to all the regions to subsidise them because we've got all the money. And if we stop having all the money, that stops too. Yeah. So it's an issue. That's already happened. And the people have already moved, won't move back if we go, well, forget it, we were only kidding. Because they've signed leases in Frankfurt, in Dublin, whatever, for the next five or ten years. And why would they trust us? Well, exactly. Exactly. Similarly, you know, on a personal level, I went round Ireland last September, had a lovely time. And the one question everyone was asking me is, what are you doing? And I was like, don't ask me. You know, there's a lot of lack of confidence in British reliability. The phrase perfidious Albion comes up with... You know, you negotiated a deal that you yourselves are not prepared to be bound by. That's A, the Good Friday Agreement, B, the Brexit Withdrawal Agreement. How can we trust you? And trust is an issue in the world. So we're going to have to rebuild a lot of trust with people, whatever we do. And that takes time and effort. And if you can't be a person of your word in the world, you know this, it has an effect, doesn't it? You may think it's smart to be a wheeler dealer and nickel and dime people, but it comes back to haunt you. Yeah. So um, so that's the damage we've already had, even if it was all cancelled tomorrow. And so what do you think we can do today, talking right now? What can we do to prepare? Anything? Well, I've done a lot of things. I've got to get 300 businesses to prepare for Brexit, really. And it depends what line of work you're in. And obviously, in, in property, which is what we're mostly focused on, it depends on the scale of your enterprise. Because the chances are, if we have Brexit next Friday, a lot of skilled building workers, plumbers, electricians who currently work here because they're part of the EU will not bother to apply for the right to work here. Right. Many of them won't get the right to work here anyway because the threshold is going to be earning £30,000, British pounds a year or more. Wow. And and that's for an employed job. And a lot of them are freelance and self-employed. And there's no real provision for the solopreneur, the micropreneur, the tradesperson to get a work permit. We have investment visas where you have to put about a quarter of a million down and invest in the economy. And we have work permits. So it's going to cause the labour shortage if that's how it goes. Now, that's not necessarily going to be permanent because don't forget what we're arguing about is the withdrawal agreement. Yeah. And the whole plan was to have a withdrawal agreement followed by an agreement agreement. Right. But obviously, if we can't agree on leaving, we can't agree on being best friends afterwards. No. And- so we, we are going into a period of prolonged uncertainty, whether we Brexit with no deal next Friday or whether we Brexit with a deal, because the big deal is the one we've got to negotiate afterwards anyway. Wow. That's... that's- I'm sorry, did I make you feel miserable? <laughs> yes, I think. There's a massive undertaking, and that's what I mean, yeah. whether you're for Brexit or whether you're against it. I think that the nation as a whole, who, who were for it, radically underestimate the scale of the undertaking. It, we will be negotiating with the EU for the next decade, come what may. Yeah. And in the short term, there are things, if we harm Brexit, that will be unresolved. So there, there's the labour issue. Mm-hmm. There's the supply chain issue. Now, certainly in the building trade, you're not mostly with property development worrying about whether cement's going to go off if it spends another couple of days at the docks. Yeah. It's not like lettuce, is it? You know, no. <laughs> if you're building houses with lettuce, we're all in trouble. <laughs> but there's the whole thing about World Trade Organization. Now, I've seen sort of people on demos chanting WTO as if it was the latest football team. And they seem to think that we should trade on World uh, Trade Organization tariffs, and we will have to after next Friday if this is where we are. And But this means that certain goods that currently come in zero rated attract tariffs. Yeah. So if you rely on an import chain to do your restorations, you're going to find increases in prices coming in because of tariffs. Now, some people are going to go, well, the government's announced that they're going to zero rate a lot of things. True, but that's mostly food. It's to keep the consumer side of things quiet, you know? Mm -hmm. They're not going to zero rate building supplies. 
And it is a breach of the World Trade Organization rules not to apply the default tariffs unless you've negotiated agreements with other people. And so far, I think we've got Fiji, which is very encouraging. Okay. But I don't know what we import from Fiji and Papua New Guinea. So perhaps a lot of building material comes from there. I couldn't really say. So there's going to be a gap. Yeah. So not only could we be fined by WTO for having no tariffs, we said not bother, but obviously if you're then going to go and negotiate trade deals under WTO, you normally go, we charge 40% on your steel, you charge 40% on our bricks, let's do a deal and make it zero. But if you've already said let's do zero, what are you negotiating? Yeah. So it's complicated because people think that World Trade Organization has no rules. And in fact, we're swapping from one set of rules to another. And we're not ready to be compliant with the other law. Well, no, because it takes different amounts of checks, compliance checks. Do we live up to that? We don't have enough people on customs. Um, the government have said they're just going to have an honesty box system on imports after wow. next Friday. So what you're going to do is ship stuff into the country and the people who should have paid tariffs on it should self-report and pony up the cash. What? Yeah. Right. Can't see that being a big money spinner, can you? <laughs> you almost you just ask them to walk down to the Houses of Parliament too and drop the cash in the box. Yeah, it's a bit like that. It's supposed to be electronic, but that'd be good. But the electronic <laughs> system for the honesty box hasn't actually been created yet. Wow. And our government doesn't have a great track record on software delivery, does it? Well, it doesn't. I mean, look at the new um, making tax digital for VAT and they've come out and said that actually they can't they cannot enforce it. They're just going to hope that people give it a go. Yeah, and it's coming in on the 1st of April. There's a lot of stuff happening on April Fool's Day this year, which, <laughs> you know, and effectively Brexit's April Fool's because, I mean, it's only a couple of days in it, isn't it? You know, yeah. It's all a bit like, okay, is this the March madness or what's going on? So there were practical difficulties, even if we have sunlit uplands in the future. And obviously when it comes to work permits and freedom of movement, Although lots of people don't want foreigners working in the UK, lots of people rely on foreigners working in the UK. Yeah. Oddly enough, some of those people are the same people. (laughs) Yes. Right? So you've got people going, there shouldn't be any more, they shouldn't get work permits, control our borders. And then you talk to them and they say, well, I didn't mean no one should come in. I just mean we should say yes or no. They don't like the entitled to come. I mean, the whole, that's the the bit that I've found mad. That was the reason my mum voted to leave the EU. Yeah. Um, and I, that was the one thing where I thought, we've actually got a really good workforce from outside the EU. And quite frankly, they don't do any harm. It's not like they come over here and don't pay tax or anything. <laughs> it's, they pay a lot of tax. Yeah. And they, they actually contribute more tax usually than the locals in terms of profit and loss because we didn't pay to educate or train them. We just get an earner coming in. Yeah. And then when they get old and fail, they go back to where they came from is mostly what people do. <sighs> and also we have exported a lot of our old failed people to Spain <laughs> who were a massive drain on the NHS if they all come back. And, of course, I, I work with a Spanish network of business women, and we're doing a webinar about that next week. A significant number of them will have to if this is the way it goes because they won't be able to get medical insurance, and that will be a, a condition of staying. Wow. So we'll get a lot of old people back who need a lot of medical care, and we'll lose a lot of young people who work in the NHS and pay a lot of tax in order to save the NHS. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm not really much of a project <laughs> manager, but I can see there are some obvious short-term problems in that. Yeah, and even Reese Smog is one of the biggest protagonists of Brexit. Is saying now it might take fifty years to see the benefit. Wow. Now that's yes. beyond my life expectancy, unless the NHS gets really, really good on the scale it never has been. But it's also beyond my children's life expectancy. Well, that's it. Generation. So we're talking about possibly my grandchildren as yet unborn might see an upside to this. It's certainly a long scale project, but if you had a development project to do a massive project and you thought it would take 50 years to really pay off, wouldn't you have a few plans for between now and 50 years? Yeah. You wouldn't just go, well, it'll be all right in 50 years, let's sort of suck it and see. Um, And it's that aspect of Brexit that concerns me most. 
So just to finish up, because um, we've been talking about this for a little while, what can we what can we do between now and next Friday to keep as informed as possible? What do you reckon? Do you know, I'm not sure being as informed as possible really helps. Really? Okay. Why? Because it won't change. Well, just being informed doesn't change anything, you know. I've been looking at my business to see how reliant it is on goods and services provided by Europeans and think, if that all stops, where am I? Mm -hmm. Some people are going so far as to buy extra food because they're not at all convinced that food supplies will hold up. Yeah. I personally think that I couldn't bear six weeks on baked beans. We'll have to find another way. You know, this is not tolerable. It depends on your appetite for panic and mess. Some people are saying it's going to be absolutely fine. All of this is just um, project fear, and they're not making any preparation at all. So it depends on, on what you believe will happen. But I think what a fair belief of what will happen will be, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, it's going to be a difficult transition if it happens. Okay. But it could be a delayed. Yeah. But I think the EU may, while we're speaking, have said not unless something happens. Mm -hmm. There might be a deal vote again if Parliament gets some reason to put it in again, but we haven't got that yet. But whether it will pass again or not, pass or fail again, I don't know. And then there is the movement, which, of course, has never gone away, to either have another referendum or revoke. Yeah. And... If there was a decision to have another referendum, that might give the EU grounds to say yes to an extension. Hmm. Okay. I think the reality is, if the population, knowing what they now know, votes for a hard Brexit, even the Remainers would go, okay, we give up. If that's what you want, we'll jump off a cliff. <laughs> because that is democracy. But the feeling of the Remainers, which is not the feeling of the Brexiters, by the way, is that people didn't know what they were voting for. No. But the Brexiters say they all did, but when you speak to them, they all voted for a different thing. Yeah, well, I think everybody was voting from a different perspective. Either you were wanting to leave or remain, don't you think? We'd, there was well, no I don't know if there were nine reasons for remaining, you know, because I think most people who wanted to remain said it might not be perfect, but it's what we've got, and we can't see how to make it better by leaving. True, true. I don't think anyone voted to stay because they thought that the EU was the best thing ever and couldn't <laughs> be on you know um no. but the leaving is is complicated options and we need to vote in my opinion on whether we want to to leave on this deal or on a hard deal or given that that's all we've got do we want to do it at all but people who are pro-brexit would say the people have spoken and we've already told you what we want but the truth is we have seen a massive exercise in british won't power Mm-hmm. And we actually still don't know what people want. No, that's true. Whether we'll find out by actually asking people is unknown. Uh, but I think if we do nothing at all, we will have Brexit next Friday. You think? Well, that's the default. Parliament has passed the act when we gave the, the Article 50 notice, saying if nothing else happens, we'll leave. If there's no extension, we leave. If there's no deal, we leave. So if nothing happens... That's the gravity point in what's going forward. Wow. So in order for that not to happen, something else has to happen. And so I guess over the next couple of days, we'll really see, we'll have to see a movement. Something's going to have to happen right before, between now and next Friday. Yes. And I think that the the wild card that nobody's really taken on into proper account is that Parliament is sovereign. And despite death threats to MPs and complaints all over social media, it is the duty of Parliament to hold the executive to account. Yeah. And it very rarely needs to do that because the normal ebb and flow and argy-pargy of our all-true lively parliamentary debate takes care of that. But when you have a government which is not even in a proper majority without being in alliance with other parties, trying to push through legislation that has been rejected by the House, the House will assert itself. And those people who voted to, to bring take back our sovereignty, this is our sovereignty. Yeah. 
parliament is sovereign. We never had a, a dictatorship of the people, which is normally known as communism, by the way. <laughs> Um, and I don't think anyone who voted for Brexit voted for communism, or did I miss something? <laughs> no, they didn't. But for the dictatorship of the proletariat. So I think the wild card this week is what will Parliament do? Okay. Because they could vote um, a motion of no confidence in the government, and they could, if they had a majority, insist on the general election. And if the general election were to be tabled, it couldn't be tabled in time, and that would give possibly the EU grounds for an extension. It's like one of those games of football when everybody could score, you know, in the last mm. second, and nobody knows what the score is until the whistle's blown. And as far as I can tell, the referee's blind and isn't even on the pitch. <laughs> Well, we'll have to see what happens between now and the 29th of March next Friday. But Annabelle, can I ask, once we know everything, would you come back on and we have another conversation? If I ever know everything, I promise you I will. But I think the best I can offer you is once we know something. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm going to wrap up this podcast here, but thank you, Annabelle, for coming on and helping me understand it a bit more. And I hope that all of my listeners um, have understood it, but it's probably opened a huge can of worms for questions so um you know how to get in contact with me if you've got questions it's natasha at ncrealestate.co.uk or you can follow me on instagram or twitter which is at natasha c collins annabelle you're on twitter too aren't you i am um but if you if you hate me don't bother <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. You know, if you if you want to tweet me to tell me everything i've ever thought is a heresy treason whatever it's been done honey yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're we're just constructive over here. We do want. Yeah, some I mean, I'm trying to get people to plan for this. I didn't ask for it, but it's a bit like an unexpected pregnancy, isn't it? The baby's coming, yeah. and it's a bit late to go and put this thing in me. You know, <laughs> we've got to get on with it. We do have and to get on with it. That's where we are. That's what business is. You know, politics is about what we should be getting on with. Business is about going. That's great, but what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. And in the end, business is what pays for politics, so somehow we've got to get it done. But if you can find a nice benevolent Russian oligarch to adopt the I'm all ears. <laughs> well, on that note, let's wrap up. <laughs> Thank you, Annabelle, for coming and joining me today. It's been a pleasure. You're most welcome. Confusion <laughs> are us over here. <laughs> and thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for being part of this podcast. And if you liked it, don't forget to subscribe. This comes to you every single Tuesday at 7am UK time. Thank you for joining us this week. I will catch up with you again soon.